Welcome, everybody, to Iditarod's Tales from the Trail podcast. I am your host, Kristen, and we have today our guest, Will Trashinsky. Sorry, Will, if I (laughs) messed that up. Um, 2021 Iditarod rookie. Welcome. (laughs) Hey, how's it going? No worries about my name. It is a tricky one. I can remember the day that I learned how to spell it. It was a very important day in my childhood. So uh, (laughs) it's uh, my parents break it up to say tro shin Ski. Troshinsky. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for correcting yeah. me. No, no worries. And my mom um, was a teacher for 38 years, so she went by Mrs. Tro. So Tro is a good shortening, too. But yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, I'm interested to hear a lot about you uh, for one, being a rookie this year in this very crazy race that we had, number one. And two, just to, you know, see what your thoughts are on on the race as a whole. And um, I want to talk to you about your your podcast and looking at your social media. It's uh, something that you were planning um, for a while and just kind of released that. So uh, what have you been up to since the race? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, before I start, so I've been mushing for 20 years. I started mushing when I was 14, 15, uh, in 2000. And, um, so I've handled for a lot of people, but I only started my own kennel in 2017. And before that, I used to think that summertime was for relaxing. And now as someone who owns a kennel, I know that summer can sometimes be the busiest time. So I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off, uh, just working on a ton of projects. Um, right now we are kind of re, um, uh, like redoing a yurt that is, um, on our property that hopefully our handlers will get to live in that unfortunately collapsed under our huge snowfall this year. Um, we're working on, we're always working on projects for the dogs. So I'm hoping to make a playground. Uh Oh, there's my spouse coming home. The dogs are given the announcement that Sean's on the way. Um, and uh, a lot of time with the dogs, the dogs stay here with us and we do what's called free play, uh, hanging out with all of them. So that's why I want to have a playground for them. Part of the reason I want to do a playground is to help develop some muscles that, um, so like this year I kind of, in Iditarod, I had some sore psoas muscles, which is uh, kind of like the back and then down to the butt. And one of the things that I talked to a really cool sports vet about was to work their core, just kind of like they tell us to work our cores. Um, and so uh, my spouse and I have been figuring out ways that we can help the dogs work their cores. So like things like playing in sand and doing balance type of stuff. So I'm excited to innovate some things along that line. Oh, that's really interesting. So how big is the play area going to be? Hopefully, what do you all put in there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm still scheming about different things for a long time. So I've been wanting to do this for a while, but um, for a long time I was looking for, um, you know, kind of like Craigslist playgrounds, but it's actually pretty hard to find. Um, so I'm doing some different things. Like I'm putting together a bunch of tires to make a tunnel so that that's kind of an interesting thing for them to play with. Um, we have this old, like kind of, um, it was kind of like this gigantic picnic table. So we're going to make that into a thing that they can play on and around. And um, then we're going to do some things like some platforms that will move when they get onto them so that they kind of have to balance a little bit. So those are some of the things. And then I really want to do a water feature. We actually have this kid's um, 
it's like a wading pool that has sprinklers on the outside of it. So we've been playing with them with that to try to help, um, you know, get them used to different things. And, and one thing about dogs that I learned when I worked at a dog daycare for a few years in Minneapolis is that if you don't, um, change their environment, uh, you know, with some frequency, they don't, um, their brains don't like, aren't stimulated enough. Where So I guess maybe putting it in a positive way, when you do change their environment, they get stimulation from it. And it helps, it helps kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, those puzzle games for humans, where they're like, it keeps your brain active. It's kind of the same thing for dogs. And um, anything that we can expose the dogs to can translate out into the trail, you know, if they know how to go up and down stairs, they're not going to be so afraid to go up and down um, big stairs like the steps when we went backwards on them or um, you know when they go through the sprinkler that's going to help them get more familiar with water for water crossings and stuff so that's all about just different fun things and it's just fun too so oh my gosh I I hope you post some pictures of it when you get to your various stages of setting this up um, it, it sounds really cool yeah I mean it really absolutely. is like a playground <laughs> oh, yeah, a playground 100%. for dogs <laughs> totally totally and and maybe doing things where we can like hide things from them and you know it's not quite yeah. the same thing as a playground for kids because kids play a little differently than dogs so we got to figure out what's going to be fun for dogs so um yeah it's exciting I love doing I love innovating and inventing it's one of the reasons I love mushing is that so much of the equipment and just everything that we use is pretty much innovated by mushers and um I just, I absolutely love it. I invented a ton of stuff for the race this year. Um, and I have got all kinds of schemes for more. Um, so yeah, that's always a, that's always a fun thing to be working on. Like sled and, and like pulling things for, for the race or what kind of things are you inventing as you uh, need them? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, everything. So this year, particularly because the race had changed, obviously, and, you know, a big change for us was that we couldn't expect that we could go inside and we couldn't expect that we could charge our equipment. So one thing that I did was I got a hold of a um, goal zero battery. So like a battery bank that you charge things on. But what I did was I built a an insulated I, I got a lunchbox, like, a, you know, just like a kind of cloth insulated lunchbox. But then I built insulation around it. And I basically set up a system so that it could um, stay warmer. And then what I've got, and I haven't, I, ha I didn't have time to install this for the race, but I basically got heating pads that are powered by AA batteries, so that in extreme cold, that could be self heating. Um, but actually, even with the cold that we did hit that worked great honestly it um it kept itself warm i kept it i had it in a special section of my sled so that it was protected as much as possible and i was able to charge my headlight batteries throughout the entire race so um that was actually a really big comfort because then i i knew you know i don't need electricity i don't need to worry about that so for future races even if we do have access to checkpoints I don't have to be like, mm, maybe I should stop so I can plug in, you know, my things. I know I have that with me. So what are some of the things that um, you or any, really any musher has to plan to plug in and kind of to plan on stops? You have got this cool 
battery system that, um, you know, portable that you don't have to worry, didn't have to worry about it. Um, what do you guys have to plan ahead of time to, as far as that you had a headlamp? Um, are you thinking you have to find somewhere to plug in your mobile phone or? Yeah, those are the biggest things, but headlamp is definitely the biggest thing. It was really funny this year because, um, you know, when I started mushing in 2000, we used headlamps that operated on um, D cell batteries. So there are these huge, they take four D cell batteries. So you're carrying four D cells in this like kind of plastic box and cold spot feeds up here made them. And um, they looked like minor headlamps, you know, and that was like cutting technology. And then all of a sudden LED came along, but those were still all um, primarily, they were all battery operated still with like um, double A's or triple A's. And you got really good at like, you had to change the batteries on some of those because, um, they would just run out in the middle of a run. So you got really good at doing that kind of in the dark because obviously your light's off when you're changing them. Um, and then the charging capability came along. And I actually avoided uh, using rechargeable headlamps because you have to depend on being able to charge them somewhere. So then, I mean, by the time this race rolled around, the charging headlamps are pretty ubiquitous. Um, but... Yeah, so then this year, it's so funny. Everyone's, like, talking about, where can I get battery-powered headlamps again? We uh, Everybody went back, and I actually carry battery power, like, like, and I'm talking, of course, like, AA batteries, you know, b batteries that you can send out in the drop bags. Um, so I did bring two different battery-powered headlamps with me, uh, but I didn't even, I didn't even touch them because my little recharging pack worked awesome. So, um, you know, I you could totally still use those battery powered ones. People use them forever. Um, I even thought about taking my D cell uh, lamp along, but that's a little too heavy. So, um, but yeah, headlamps are definitely the first, like probably the primary thing. I, um, I do bring my phone pr only because of music and I um, podcasts and stuff. I don't like to have my phone be, on as like an accessible as a mobile device because when I started racing that wasn't a thing and that's just kind of how I'm used to racing is being able to be cut off you know kind of like that's part of the point for me um and I, I think that was uh well I know that was pretty tough on my spouse this year not being because I didn't you know check in or fill fill anybody in because I didn't have my phone turned on um, I, I had the cell service off and everything. I basically had it in airplane mode. Um, and, uh, so I know that was, that was difficult, but I just, that's, I just prefer to race that way. It's easier for me to get through a race if I am not, um, kind of talking to the outside world. So, but I do like the music, so I like to charge that and, uh, people have other rechargeable random things, but those are the two primary ones for sure is like phones, MP3 players and, um, headlamps. So did did you start in junior Iditarod? I can't remember if No, I did. Yep. I so I ran my very first junior Iditarod um in 2001. Um I learned how to mush from Martin Boozer and um that was because my mom and his wife were um teachers together. They started a charter school in I think 1996 called Midnight Sun Family Learning Center and their uh boys and myself and my brother all were in my mom's class together because the whole structure of the charter school was there was a multi-age classroom. So um, yeah, we became really, really close friends. We um, spent a lot of time there. We, yeah, it was like some of my fondest memories growing up. And then 
it took me years, but I finally got the guts up to ask Martin if he'd teach me how to mush. And um, yeah, I got to learn from the best. Honestly, it was a really amazing first year. And I ran the, the junior Iditarod then. And then I, I cut, continued working through high school for a smaller kennel, a recreational kennel uh, in the same area in Big Lake. And I ran the junior Iditarod two more times. And then my senior year, I was 18. So I ran my first uh, quote unquote adult race, which was the Denali Dog Dash, which I think is kind of a kind of a, a predecessor to the Jinjin, which I don't even know if the Jinjin runs anymore, but that was another mid distance that was around here. So that was my early, early days. You ran the I did around, uh, junior I did around a few times, a, two times. Is that what you said? Uh, three times altogether. Three? So once with Martin's kennel and then two more times with, um, Daryl Darnell and Pam Darnell, who are a lovely family, who actually hosted us uh, for Iditarod when we went um, this 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 year, which was kind of a cool little full circle thing, you know. Yeah, Martin's really nice. Um, he was on our podcast a few podcasts ago, so he has a a big tree of people who. Um, he's kind of mentored also throughout the many many years that he's been mushing here. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that that's, um, he takes a lot of pride in his, um, yes, his apprentices, as he calls them, and being able to pass that knowledge down. And, um, you know, that has been incredible for me. Um, And uh, actually, when we started the kennel, our first puppies were from him. And, um, you know, those guys are still very close family friends of ours. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, my parents call them our Alaska family. So, um, which is, yeah, pretty amazing resource for a young musher trying to figure things out. Um, yeah, so I am so grateful for, for that connection, for sure. Tight mushing community. I think everybody's always helping each other out. But speaking of your kennel, what does ATAO stand for? So ATAO, and what we, we pronounce it ATAO. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, we... we uh, so that's kind of our kennel philosophy. So it stands for adventure, truth, accountability, onward. And um, yeah, that's just kind of like our, our philosophy of how we approach the trail and how we approach life. And uh, so uh, it's also, I guess I decided to go with a name that would confuse people because it definitely confuses people, but I don't know. I chose it actually quite a while ago and it just kind of stuck. So uh, but it's good to get to, it's kind of fun to explain it and, and get to pass along that little, you know, outlook and, and whatnot. It seems like every, every kennel has their, their own, you know, meaningful name and, um, and, and how they like to express their, the way they mush and, you know, what they live by. So yeah. How many dogs do you have? We have 28 dogs, including our house dogs. Um, and so we have 20, uh, hang on, t- 23 uh, sled dogs. Um, and we've got a couple of those are going to be retiring. Um, and technically, we have 25 sled dogs. Two of them are, are really old ladies. They're 14. They're turning 14 next month. Um, and they're hilarious. They basically run the roost, but they're, you know, they're house dogs now. Um, although sometimes they, they think they're puppies and they run around like uh like they're full of vim and vinegar but 
Um, yeah, so 23 sled dogs. So part of my kennel philosophy is also to keep a really small kennel. Um, in 2016, I worked with a guy named Scott Smith, and um, he worked on the North on the North Slope. So he and I would trade. Um, I was also working full time. But my boss worked with me to be able to do this. So basically, we traded two weeks on, two weeks off. So when Scott was working on the North Slope, I was at his kennel training dogs full time. And then um, when Scott came back, I'd go to my job and work full time. And so we just switched back and forth. So we trained the team together. Uh, the team was the, the dogs in training were 17 dogs, um, which is a really small number. Uh, and I think this that year they were still running 16 dogs. Um yeah, Scott got 10th that year. And so that, you know, obviously there's a lot of different factors in there. But to me, that just really spoke to the fact that you can do it with a, a small group, you know, you can do well. And um, having a small group means that I can invest the most time I can possibly give to each dog. And so I think with that maximum um, dedication to each one, uh, you can you can really help them bloom into whatever they're most capable of um i i just i i definitely have a fondness for dogs who maybe are a little shy or don't necessarily like maybe don't show their talents right away um i just really find a lot of reward with working with those kinds of dogs and then like seeing them succeed it's so cool uh one of my main leaders actually one of the leaders who came into uh the finish with me her name is emmy She's incredibly shy. Um, it took her two years, and we just got her two years ago. We got her as an adult. Um, it took her two years to um, to really open up to us at, at all. Um, she finished in lead, like I said. And I, I don't know if it was just, like, particularly, like, going through this big event with us and the team. Um, but she has the last few weeks, I mean, since we finished, I did ride. She has just been the happiest like it's like she got this huge burst of confidence in herself and she just like struts around the yard and um she for the first time like will run up and jump on me it's like she's a completely different dog um and to see that because it's not just you know the race it's like all the time we put in just slowly and carefully working with her to see that i mean that's like almost better than i did her odd you know like that's amazing and she feels like she's part of the crew now huh absolutely yeah Yeah. how many do you have that um how many dogs do you have that you've taken through several races and they're they're kind of uh your your staple dogs that have kind of been through a lot of the races with you um well i think the let's see i guess 17 so I was training 18 this year. One of them, he was, um, he was one of the first puppies that we had and he ran part of the copper basin with me, the, the, their yearling year, but he didn't, I dropped him at the second checkpoint. He just got really hot. He seemed to be having some stomach problems. So, um, I then was planning to retire him. You know, it didn't seem like he was, he loves to run, but he just really overheats easily. So I was like, I'm not going to push this. But I decided to, um, so he kind of had like a year of being a pet. And then I decided this year to, well, let's see, give him another shot. See, maybe he'll mature a little bit or he has matured. Maybe, you know, he just had some kind of like youthful dog problems or something. Um, but he kind of ran into the same thing. He just really overheats easily. So he is going to officially retire. 
Um, and so he'll get to be a house dog or maybe he'll get to like work with like a really small kennel that only does short runs. Um, or maybe he'll, he, right now his chief job is, is, uh, managing our, our puppies who are turning a year here pretty soon, but, um, he's a great playmate for them. So, so that leaves the other 17. So that was my training core and all 17 of those dogs have gone through multiple seasons with me. Um, most of them, uh, I think. 14 of them um, are dogs who I raised from puppies or bought like, well, well, we were, we received a couple dogs who were, um, you know, more mature the very first year we started. So yeah, all of them have been with me for at least like two years. Uh, And most of them have been with me for the entire four years. So, and that was a big part of what I wanted to have for Iditarize to build that bond. Like when I, when I started the kennel, I could have bought, you know, a, a ready-made team or something, but the whole point is to like build that bond. Um, so that was part of our plan. Do you have um, like a litter of puppies, or or do you plan a litter each year, or or not really? You have already kind of have a set. Well, like I said, I do want to keep my kennel small, so I'm definitely hitting the um, kind of the threshold right now. So we've had litters the past two years, so. Um, we and they were small litters which kind of makes it possible to maybe have one more litter so that's what we're looking at right now we may have another litter this summer um, or next summer it kind of depends but then when i get to the point of having basically 24 to 27 um like dogs who are in training and a part of the race team that's my my cutoff so that means that until some of the dogs are, you know, retiring to be house dogs, um, then then there won't be any new dogs coming. And um, so that's we are getting close, but we could probably squeeze one more litter in here, and then that'll probably be be it for at least a little bit. But it is nice to have, you know, um, a kind of an age range. Um, like next year, I'll have some dogs who are. Uh, six and seven and for some dogs they they'll keep going and going after that you know and do many races after that but that does start to be the time where they may start indicating like oh they're ready to be done so that is kind of kept in mind with you know bringing up these younger generations there's so much planning uh involved in you know your dog family (laughs) i guess it is um and it's so different between the different mushers, um, I've had, I think this is the 21st podcast here. This is mm-hmm. what this will oh, be. Cool. So I've talked to several mushers and everyone has, you know, their own dog family plan and, you know, on mm-hmm. what their, the future of, you know, their, their, their team is going to be or kennel at large or right. you know, their, their strategy and how, how their kennels are set up and, down to the training and um, Mm. everything. There's just so much to think of, you know, it's not something that you just kind of brush into, (laughs) you know, hopefully hopefully not. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully Um, not from all the mushers that I've, you know, I've talked to it's, you know, years of planning or, and you think of years ahead too, uh, with you and the puppies, you want a specific, you know, size and you have your own training regimen and plans for uh, what you want your kennel to be. So it's all different. It's all very different for everybody. Yeah. 
Well, that's one thing. I, I another thing I like about mushing is that there's so there's a million different ways to do everything about it and come to relatively the same result. It's very interesting to me, um, and I think that it kind of creates this amazing space for creativity in a way, you know, because all of those choices and all of that planning is a type of creativity, and it's also like you're creating and planning and building your your pack your family and so um you know a lot of it is you know a lot of people are obviously like very competitive and i would i want to get to the point where we're competitive with ourselves so that we're doing the best that we as a team can do and that will be um you know that's going to be what is important to to me as far as competition but overall the most important thing to me is just fostering this important sense of pack and sense of home um, you know, the Iditarod is just sort of a, um, it's just sort of a way to get to that, you know, just a method to get to that sense of pack and home. And, you know, it also, I notice is location. It kind of varies between different mushers to what, what they, you know, choose to make, you know, their home and, mm-hmm. um, really plan out you know, for the, the future of their team, uh, how big you want to be and what specifically mm-hmm. your needs are for in, for your um, handlers as well. You were talking about, you know, getting um, a, a yurt yeah. together and, you know, some people have cabins or some people, some um, teams have one big ca- cabin at some point right. and everybody kind of has to share the same space. Um but so much planning. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And yeah, there's, yep, there's a million level factors, but all of that. Yeah. I love all of that planning and figuring things out and how to make it work. And, you know, I think uh, you could view it as stressful, but I just, I don't know. I enjoy all of that and, and making it happen. Um, I put off starting my own kennel for a long time because I was kind of afraid of all of that and afraid that it would like, you know, make me feel burned out or that, um, like I just was like, I'm not financially stable. And finally I realized I'm never going to be like quote unquote financially stable, but um, I'll figure it out. And um, yeah, I have, I have not like regretted a single moment of starting the kennel. Like it's been, it's all, that's all been very joyous. Like um, including just like dropping hundreds and thousands of dollars at like the feed store or for this or for that. Like I don't, I wouldn't want to spend my money any other way, honestly. Like I, it makes me very, very happy to do that. So um, yeah, so it's a good fit for me. All, all of those logistics are, it's a lot to juggle, but I really like it. Do you have a, um, a tour? Do you run a kennel as a, a business tour at all? Or, um, or do you, it's no. just your personal your kennel you don't have visitors like other okay yeah yeah um i did tours for i worked on a glacier doing tours and then i've also done tours uh, as a horse guide um and what i discovered over the years so my degree is in theater and english my degrees and um i am great at giving tours i also really dislike it um i find myself being like I get, especially when you're doing tours that are like the summer tours where you're doing a lot of them, I just find myself being more and more disconnected. And all of a sudden, I am just kind of uh, phoning it in 
for this thing that I care so much about. And so I don't, I, it's a big thing for me that once I started the kennel, I kind of made myself a promise that I wouldn't do any more tours. Um, so I will occasionally help because there's a bunch of tour operations out here in two rivers. So, and a lot of them are run by friends and sometimes they'll be like, we, so-and-so is sick. Is there any chance you could do a tour? So I've done a couple since I've been up here, but I, I definitely prefer just to be me and my dogs and have that be my own, you know, those are, that's my family. And, um, so obviously you would have to be independently wealthy to, um, have a sled dog kennel and not have, um, some sort of income. So I, um, actually have a day job. I work full time. Um, I am a computer IT technician and I was working remote before it was cool. Um, I actually started working remote in 2016 and that was another huge factor of me starting the kennel because since I was at home, it allows me to, you know, take five minutes and go make sure the dogs are watered in the middle of the afternoon or, you know, I, I'm just right here with the team. And so that, that's a huge deal. So why don't you tell me what you thought about this year's trail? It was your first trail, but right. um, any uh, takeaways? I mean, it's obviously when you come back to the idea, it's going to be different because you'll be going hopefully to Nome <laughs> from here on out. No more out and backs. So hopefully it'll be back to the right. regular idea. Right. Um, I loved it. It was absolutely amazing. Um you know, there were some um, things in the trail that, um, you know, that you might encounter in any kind of race. Like at the beginning of the trail, it was hot and punchy. Uh, you know, at this part, it was this way. But I, you know what? It was just like it was it was mushing. The best thing for me was seeing new trail, um, which didn't happen for the first 120 miles because I've run a race called the Northern Lights 300. I've run that a few times and that is a race that no longer runs, but it went up to Finger Lake and then came back. So I've seen that part of the trail like three times. So that wasn't new to me, but um, the second we left Finger Lake, I was so incredibly happy um, and uh, just awed by the mountains and the beauty and just seeing new things. It was awesome. And yeah, my, the part that I, re, that I disliked the most about turning around was not getting to see what was next. Um, so I, I can't wait for the next round where I get to go further, you know? Um, and I think the dogs felt like that too. It was just a really, um, yeah, it was a really cool experience to get to go see all of that with them. And then as far as the conditions, I mean, I think we were really lucky with the conditions. It was a high snow year, so it was a great trail ultimately. And, um, yeah, I, I'm sure that, uh, it was kind of a cushy ride down like the steps and everything. I heard some people say that the gorge was difficult. Um, we handled it totally fine, which I was really glad about, but I could see where it could get gnarly. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was awesome. Uh, I actually think that I've done more technical driving in like the copper basin, or on training runs. Um, so, and I think that might just be a function of the conditions this year. So we'll see if I, you know, jinx myself for future races. Yeah. I think some people hit different conditions just depending on when they are reach a certain point in the race mm-hmm. than others. Cause the weather can change like nothing, nobody's business oh, up yeah. in Alaska. Well, right. You know, that's their bid for being the toughest race um is the weather because yeah it's uh 
you're going over all this different landscape and like you said it can change at any moment and um there was it got down to 55 below for some people but i was i happened to be i think up in the hills for part of that so i only got like 30 or 40 below so you know um yeah you're totally right it definitely does does change depending on on where you're at and i think some people hit better snow in some spots where it hadn't snowed yet or something um so there was more ground area so yeah very different depending on where you happen to end up at what time and yeah and i think i did hear from a, a couple other mushers where they didn't get at to the as cold spot they were either gone or not there yet or whatever it was. So yeah, definitely. Um, Do you think you'll be back next year or are you thinking about it and just planning? Just Uh, I will 100% be back next year. Um, You know, when they announced that the route was going to turn around, I uh, looked at my spouse, Sean, and I said, well, I'm going to Nome. So I guess that's going to be in 2022. You know, it's, I, I, that's where I want to go. A lot of, in a lot of ways, I actually don't feel like I finished the Iditarod. It, it, it looked so different than what I had expected for years and years. And by that, I mean, like, there was no ceremonial start. There was no burled arch there. You know, it was just a very different experience than what I've been envisioning for literally two decades. So it, it, I, I definitely feel proud of the achievement that we did. And, um, you know, abs- intellectually, I know it was the Iditarod, but there's some part of me that's like, oh, no, that hasn't happened yet. So, um, but either way, you know, I'm ready to tackle next year. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm excited that uh, my team now has seen the trail. So that was their first Iditarod, too. And so I think with all of us um, both having seen the first 400 miles of the trail and also just having accomplished an 860-mile race, um we're going to be ready to go and yeah, like, you know, do it, do it even better. I hope. <laughs> well, anytime you finish the Iditarod is a good year. I think, yeah. I mean, it was still over 800 miles. Um, you know, not, not easy by any means. There are right. still many, many challenges, different challenges um, this year, even for, for us planning the race and right. making sure it happens. Um, right. So, but we're excited for next year too, 50th year anniversary. Mm-hmm. So we're happy to have you back. And I know you had a lot of fans at the, um, the finish line. I actually happened to be there when you arrived. Oh, cool. So I was able to, uh, take photos of you and your entourage <laughs> that showed up. <laughs> that was so funny. I didn't expect to see the people. I didn't expect to see anybody. I mean, I, except like, you know, my spouse, my handler and my parents and, yeah, we're, I, that really kind of brought a tear to my eye, actually. And um, yeah, it was really, that was really sweet um, and kind of surreal uh, also. Yeah, I think towards the end, um, we had a little bit looser uh, rules on crowds just because, and it really, what we didn't really had not very many people there besides your immediate family and your friends, right. you know, your kind of bubble, I guess you would say what yeah. we kept on saying <laughs> the whole time. But yeah, there, um, there really was, you know, not, not very many people, not what you would expect, you know, hundreds of people, uh, oh, per no, usual. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was like, yeah. It was I mean, your family and your friends and then that was pretty much it. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, one thing Maybe some volunteers. 
Yeah. And there was a couple volunteers, but one thing that tickled me was that the um was that Nicole, who I know now because of um she is a uh like a doctor here and I I I had some issues after I did her on, so I ended up having to go see her. But um anyway, she was announcing, she was the announcer. And I thought it was so funny that there was an announcer because there truly were not that many, like there was not enough people to announce to, but it was like, I was like, oh, thank you. You're announcing. This is so nice. And I'm sure it was like for the, for the, um, you know, the uh, insider or whatever, but that was really funny to me because it was a really funny site, like a person with a microphone and then these like small crowd of people. It was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we did have our insiders watching, but still, we need to announce all the mushers who are, you know, making that it through the so finish nice. line. It's so yeah. important. <laughs> and we, um, I mean, there were uh, some volunteers and, you know, we need to make mm-hmm. everybody feel special coming <laughs> across yeah. the finish line. Right. So, well, I'm glad to... um here you'll be back and you're planning on that. And I think everyone's going to be happy to, to go back to Nome and, um, and you, so you have the, at least you have the 2021 special buckle. I I do. Yeah. So that's really nice. Um, Aaron Burmeister, um, had, Got that together for all the finishing mushrooms. Yeah. So, um, why don't you talk to us about your podcast? Um, I'll just let you take it away and you tell us what, um, what your plans are there. Sure. So I, um, I created a sneaky little plan, which was that, um, I don't remember. I didn't come up with this very long before I did arrive, but I was thinking about, um, ways to help myself stay awake. And one thing that I'll do when I'm training is I'll call people and talk to them on the phone. But, um, you know, I'd said I wasn't going to do two way communication and I still didn't want to do that. But, um, but I thought, Oh, Hey, I could probably record while I'm mushing. Why, why not? I mean, you know, the dogs might think I'm a little silly talking to myself, but, um, yeah, it seems, seems like a thing I could do. So I tried it out on the last run before the race and, um, it seemed to work okay. And so I just sort of like made this plan that I would try to record and I didn't know how I would feel recording how if it was going to be like if I'd feel silly or something. But actually, it was felt totally natural. And it just felt like I was talking to somebody like this. And I, I, I in a weird way, I could like almost sense like the people who have been supporting us and following us like, I, I felt like I was talking to them, you know, so I was just telling the story of whatever we were doing. And um, you know, uh, including uh, you just going through obstacles and talking to other mushers when they passed us. And, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of things. So I made, um, 17 recordings throughout the race. I tried to record once per run. I didn't do every single run, but I did most of them. Um, and yeah, it's pretty, I, I had no idea whether it would be interesting or, or, you know, just like really, boring because um a lot of it's just me rambling and doing a lot of tangents and stuff but i think it's kind of interesting and i mean it's fun to do it's been a nice way for me to remember things because yeah it's kind of like a an uh, you know an audio journal in a way so yeah i've been trying to release um an episode every uh week or so and um yeah that is uh called onward and other directions and it is on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. 
Uh, you can also find it by going to ataokennel.com. And um, yeah, uh, I'm going to be releasing our fourth episode soon, which will be uh, the run from Finger Lake to Rainy Pass. And that's the run with the Happy River Steps in it. So um, it's an exciting one. And uh, yeah, there's some exciting things in the future. There's definitely multiple recordings of me falling asleep and mumbling total nonsense, including at least one time when I ask for ice cream and I don't know who I'm talking to. So it should be entertaining. That's a good idea. You can, uh, what you did, so you have it all recorded and you can right. just look back and remember because I'm sure you're sleep deprived at some points right. and you probably forgot whatever happened the next day mm-hmm. or the day before, whatever. So very cool. I'm going to, um, yeah, we'll put that in the link in our um, description of this podcast. Yeah. So everyone awesome. can look and find the link there when we have it posted and we'll uh, be sure to let everybody know to look for that. Cool. Where yeah. Can, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think you were just going to ask, but um, yeah, folks can find us on, uh, yep. you know, all the social media platforms um, at ATAO Kennel. So um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, that's our main um, platform, I would say. We have our kind of our biggest presence on Twitter, which I know is not um, where a lot of mushers are, but we've got a really great little fan base there. And um, it's kind of a really cool community. Um, and yeah, we also have a Patreon. So people can go to patreon.com and look up Ateo Kennel. And um, if you do that, you are able to pick out one of our dogs or more. You can pick up to 27 if you want. Uh, and become buddies with them. And when you're a buddy, you get email updates about them every month and you get their trading card every year. And also, of course, bragging rights when they do anything from finish I did a rod to fart a lot like our house dog Mo does. Do they do any of them snore? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, Mo is a 190 pound mastiff. Um, so yeah, he snores a lot. <laughs> okay. He does all the things. so cute well thank you will for coming on the show and telling us about your whole for first uh rookie year on the iditarod and we look forward to seeing you out there next year and um i look forward to your podcast so thanks for being on the show oh thanks for having me i really appreciate it and uh, i'm excited to listen to the other 21 episodes i've been so busy i haven't been able to listen yet but i'm I'm excited to catch up on them yeah we um we have mushers we have i just interviewed one of the iditarod veterinarians so that's oh, cool. always kind of cool to get the veterinarian perspective and because mm-hmm. they do an entire different set of things that the mushers do don't do right. so yeah and um teacher on the trail which we didn't get to have this year on the trail right. because of covid so um jim dupree who was this year's teacher on the trail will be back next year so he'll mm-hmm. actually get to go on the trail and um hopefully interview uh, mushers on the trail, which is, is usually what they do. So he'll have fun next year at, cool. and be able to go to Nome and stuff. So, awesome. yep. So all kinds of um, cool things, uh, mushers that we have on there, We're talking about all sorts of different things. Uh, Dallas, we had Dallas on. Um, nice. Interesting talking to him with his fifth win. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we have lots planned. 
All right. Well, well, we will. um, uh, I look forward to seeing pictures of your dog play yard and (laughs) all the newfangled inventions of workout activities. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe we'll get some ideas. Maybe we should uh, connect and get some ideas of what people can do at home with their dogs. (laughs) Just so they are. Yeah. Um, Because I know people have, we have a fenced-in backyard for our dog. You know, what are Mm -hmm. the different things that people can do with their little Boston Terriers or, you know, that are, you know, light exercises and not necessarily trained for uh, 800, you know, 800 to 1,000 mile race. So, Well, and the same thing with like just that stimulation, you know, they they say that uh, 15 minutes of of training or like trying to learn something new is equal to like an hour of running. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Don't quote me on that, but uh, that's what I've heard vaguely somewhere, probably on the internet, but you know, it is good for them to have that mental stimulation. So that sounds like a blast. Well, that's not, I mean, that was something I hadn't really thought about. Um, like even your, you walk your dog and you kind of take the same route, you know, right, all the time. Right. So maybe changing it up is yep. a little bit more stimulating and it, exactly. Uh, I, even if, for humans, when you work out, your body gets accustomed to the same workouts. So um, I've worked with personal tr- trainers before and like, well, if you switch it up, then your, um, you know, your brain is being stimulated because it's something different. And, you know, it, you're, you're, you're not doing the same thing over and over again. So that is definitely something to think about. I hadn't thought of that before with dogs uh, at all. So you learn something new. Every time I think I learn uh, something new. Every time I talk to a different musher on this podcast, too. so yeah, yeah, totally. There's yeah. always something to learn from from each other, and that's another reason I love mushing. Is you get a you're just constantly learning. Well, thank you, Will. Um, we'll see you back on the trail next year. Awesome. We'll see you there. Thanks.